Good morning. Happy New Year. Statistically speaking, if you've made a New Year's resolution, if you make it two weeks, you'll be in the, the higher percentage. 80% of people don't get past two weeks. If you make it a week after that, it starts to drop even more. 9% of the people that make resolutions actually find the end goal. It's 9%. Look around the room. Not many are going to make it. <laughs> Happy New Year. 2023, I'm excited about this year. I'm excited to see what God has in store uh, for our church. The next two weeks, this week and next week, I want to look at our mission statement as a church. You've seen the banners around, you've, you've seen it in your bulletin, and I want you to open up your bulletin if you have one. We're going to read that together. On the left-hand side of the bulletin, it'll have who we are as a church. It says, Mount Moriah Baptist Church, or MMBC, right? Either way, we're going to read that together. Is that okay? Okay, let's read that together. You ready? We're gonna, instead of saying MMBC, we're going to say Mount Moriah Baptist Church. That way we're not all confused. Are you ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Mount Moriah Baptist Church is a community of faith devoted to loving God, loving people, and making disciples who do the same. This is where we're going to be for the, this week and next week as we begin our year 2023. We did this last year, but I want to do it again because I want to keep a focus on who we are as a body of believers, who we are as a church. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. Uh, starting in verse 34. Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. And as you turn there, I want to give you some background, some, some context to this section of Scripture. <clears throat> there are three questions that the religious leaders pose to Jesus around this passage. You have two before and then this one. There's three questions in total. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were trying to trap him. They were trying to expose him for who he really was. They wanted him to be removed from the forefront of the people. The first question, uh, if, you, you, if you want to go back and do some study, 15, uh, verses 15 through 22, the Pharisees asked uh, Jesus about a political question, dealing with taxes. Who should we give to? That kind of question. And then the second question, 23 through 33, the Sadducees asked Jesus a theological question about marriage and the resurrection. They were sad, you see. The passage that we find ourselves in morning is the third question. It's the greatest question, uh, and Jesus is the greatest person to answer the question that is posed to him. So let's read together. I'm going to ask you to stand again as we continue our worship through the reading of God's Word. This is Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you for brothers and sisters, like-minded folks. I thank you for visitors. God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the word that we have to, to read it and to apply it to our lives. God, I ask that you give us understanding this morning so that when we leave this place, that we will be the church wherever we go. 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If I could sum up life or, or the Bible just in general, if I could sum up the Bible in one word, it would be redemption. God is unfolding his plan of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. The plan that says God has a plan to save that which is lost, the sinner. It's also wrapped in the word love. And this morning we're going to unpack this passage. But God's redemptive plan throughout the entire Bible is that God loves the sinner. We have to get that straight. There are a lot of other things we could focus on this morning, but I want to focus on the redemptive plan that is God's love. How many of you have a, a song for you and your spouse? A song maybe you, you connected with while you were dating, and that's your song. Anybody have that? Anybody in the room? It's a really bad illustration. Yes, we got one. Okay, good. It was almost a bad illustration. Two. Do I hear three? Going on four, going on five? I can't do the thing. Yeah, you got one. Uh, would you mind... Anybody want to tell me what the song is? Your song? You Are My Sunshine. That's a really good song. The verse is kind of depressing. It's a good song. There are hundreds of thousands of love songs. You ever read a book on love? Anybody have a book? Maybe How to Have a Better Marriage. The Five Love Languages is a book that's popular. There are many books written about love. Anybody written a poem for their spouse? It's 2023, write a poem for your spouse. The fact is there are songs and books and poems all about love that we have at our disposal. The passage this morning points us to a godly type of Love. There are many words that the, Jesus uses for love in the New Testament. Even in the Old Testament, there are tons of words. But the word that Jesus uses this morning is agape. I want to give you the definition of agape love. It's the word that Jesus uses for love God and love neighbor. And then he says at the end, everything hangs on this word love. Love of God and love of neighbor. Agape love involves faithfulness. It involves commitment. It involves an act of the will. We see this in marriage. If I am faithful to my wife, I am actively loving her. I am committed to my wife. But also it's an act of the will. There are days that I may not want to love my wife, but willfully I love my wife and I am faithful and I am committed to that. And Jesus is using this word for love of God and love of neighbor. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. We use this passage, this chapter, in weddings. It's the same word that Jesus uses, love, agape love. This is what it looks like, and that's why we use it in marriage. But it's the same word that he says, it's the same way that we love God and our neighbor. 1 Corinthians 13. It's a short chapter. Paul says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... But have not agape or love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude. 
It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And it goes all the way down to the end of the chapter. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is what? Love. So when Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God, love people, focus on the word love, this faithful, committed act of the will type of love. We're going to break this down into three points if you're taking notes. The first one, number one, the plan. Number one, the plan. You see, the Pharisees get together, the religious leaders get together, and they're trying to trap Jesus. And the scribe says, I got it. I'm going to challenge him with a question. After they've already seen two questions defeated by Jesus, they come up with a greater plan and says, we're going to ask him another question. Is that a good plan? Say no. <laughs> it's Jesus. And he just silenced the Sadducees and he just silenced the Pharisees before. And they said, we got another plan. Let's ask him another question. And so here is the question, verse 34 and 35 of our main text. The Pharisees heard that they had silenced the Sadducees, Jesus. They gathered together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. The ultimate goal of the religious leaders were to get rid of Jesus. They wanted to test him and, and see that he's a phony so that all the people would stop following him. He was beginning, uh, gaining popularity, gaining uh, uh, power, if you will, but they wanted to get rid of him. Ultimately, they wanted to take him and kill him. And so they ask him a question. A scribe gets together and he says, What's the greatest commandment? That's the question that's getting ready to be asked and answered. The word that's used here for silenced, it's the same words that describe the way we muzzle an ox. It's the same word when Jesus himself silenced a demon or calmed the storm, and they go to him to ask him a question. If they only knew who he was, they wouldn't have asked this question. He is the one who silences demons. He is the one who calms the weather. And they chose a scribe to do this. The man would have been fluent in the law of God, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He knew the law forward and backwards. This is our guy who's going to ask Jesus, who is God in flesh, a question. <laughs> Number two, here's the question. Verse 36, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Remember, the purpose of the question was to silence Jesus, to get rid of Jesus, to expose Jesus. And the scribe nicely calls him teacher at the beginning because there is some respect there. But the question is like asking someone, what is the meaning of life? That's the question. That's how weighty this question is in this moment in Jesus' day. You see, there were Pharisees and teachers all throughout the land. Jesus wasn't the only teacher. There were many rabbis. And depending on which rabbi you followed, there were heavy laws and there were light laws. Heavy laws mean these were binding. You can't adjust these. You can't, they're not flexible. You have to follow these laws. And then the light laws were flexible. You could kind of bend them a little bit, retweak them to make sure they match and, and, and you don't break them. There were 613 of these laws, some heavy, some light. And depending on which Pharisee or rabbi or teacher you would go to would be depending on which ones were heavy and which ones were light. Now, I want to break these down even further. Generally speaking, 248 of these laws 
were uh, affected the body, right? Parts of the body, what you could do with your body. 248 rules that you had to follow in order to be in right standing with God. Depending on which Pharisee you followed, you know the, the rest. 365 of these laws were for each day of the year. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. There's one law that some of us might have broken today getting here. Did you speed today? Just getting here. Now, Nash and Taylor can say, no, I walked. <laughs> That's just one law that we have in Kentucky. There's probably thousands of laws, even from way back laws, right, that are still on the books. Imagine following 613 laws every day of your life. Imagine the weight that would be on you following 613 laws. How many of you would have to have a cheat sheet? Right? There's no way to live your life this way. Right? It would be daunting. It would be exhausting. Jesus calls the Pharisees who were in charge of making sure the people lived by these laws. Jesus called the religious leaders blind guides. They didn't even know how to interpret and follow the law. He called them hypocrites. He called them brood of vipers. And they were in charge of leading the people with these laws, these commandments of God. Here's the tricky thing. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the teachers, they never agreed on which ones were binding and which ones were light. So you could go to one rabbi and, and hear a law and then go to another rabbi and hear a different interpretation of the law. Imagine how confused you would be with that many laws and, and no one really agreed. But the, the, the way of the day is the rabbis would get together in the synagogue and they would debate the law constantly. And so by them asking Jesus, another rabbi, what his interpretation of the greatest law is, it would be an everyday common occurrence among them. But they didn't know who they were asking. The scribe calls Jesus teacher or rabbi. We can only assume that the Pharisees believed that Jesus, being a good rabbi, would have debated this law or debated this before. And so by asking him this one question, the most important question, Jesus himself would condemn himself. He would trip up and he would falter. Number three, the greatest response ever. So you have the plan, you have the question, and now you have the greatest response. Look at verse 37 through 39. We're going to spend most of our time in, this, in these verses. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, And he said, Jesus said to him, the scribe, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. A second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, love God, love people. You've seen it everywhere, right? Love God, love people, make disciples. That's kind of what we say around here. We're not the only church that says it. A lot of believers say, love God, love people. It's, it's not a slogan. It's not just some happy-go-lucky thing. We find it in Scripture. Jesus says this is the greatest. Love of God and love of neighbor. Jesus himself recites a passage from the Old Testament in this section, in his answer. Deuteronomy 6 is the Shema that Jewish people still recite today, both morning and night. And I'm going to read it for you. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. 
And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall walk, uh, or shall talk to them when you sit, when you're, and when you rise, when you walk by the way, when you lie down. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. You shall uh, be as frontlets between your eyes, like on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The Jewish people knew the Shema. They would have recited it. And so when Jesus says, love the Lord your God, they would have been like, hey, I know where he's going with this. But then he also adds, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, Jesus knows the scriptures. Why? They all point to Jesus. And so the Pharisees, unbeknownst to them, ask the one whose scripture is written about what it's all about. And he says, love God and love people. He sums up the entire law in these two statements. The entire 613 debatable laws, some binding, some flexible. Jesus says it's all about love of God and love of neighbor. But there's a problem for us today. When we say love God, love people, it sounds good, it sounds easy, it sounds awesome, it's catchy. You can put on a hat or a t-shirt. We can memorize it. Love God, love people, make disciples. Jesus points the listener to the law. It's all summed up in these two things. The problem we have is we break them every day. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, the law brings knowledge of sin. So when we say love God, love people, it sounds awesome in our hearts it should point us back to our need of a Savior. I cannot keep love God and love people. I cannot keep the law. I can't. And so Jesus, when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself, he's pointing the religious leaders back to the law. Well, wait a minute. I love Jesus. I'm under the new covenant. I don't have to worry about the law, right? We don't, we don't have to deal with that anymore. Listen to the words of Jesus from Matthew 5, verse 17. He's speaking to the religious leaders of his day. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota and not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, it's not abolished, it's fulfilled in who? Jesus. And so when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, love your neighbor as yourself, it's not hopeless because Jesus can do it. Jesus has done it. Jesus fulfills the entire law. All that's been debated for centuries before is wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is pointing the listener to the good news. Why did Jesus come? To save that which is lost. To save the sinner. Jesus, when he begins his ministry, begins by saying, the kingdom of God is near. Repent, believe in the good news. 
So when Jesus says, love God, love people, he's saying, repent, believe in the good news. Jesus is the only one who lives perfectly by this. If you were to turn to Exodus 20, you can. There's the Ten Commandments. The first four have to do with loving God. The second six, or the the last six, has to do with loving your neighbor. He not only sums up the entire law, he sums up the Ten Commandments for those of us who just like 10 instead of 613. He still sums it up in this, love God, love people. We've already mentioned this, but the fact is we've already broken them just today, probably. Did you lie to yourself about the calories in your breakfast? Pastor Ryan likes to eat, I hear. I don't look at calories, obviously. We break the commandments. We break the law of God. And we have to be honest with ourselves in 2023, lest we'll be like the, the percentage of people that don't make it past 14 days. Paul says that the law of God is written on our hearts in Romans chapter 2. We know that there is a Standard, uh, uh, a way of life that God has called all to live. And when we look at the law, it's like we're looking into a mirror. And we see how broken and how in need of a Savior, how in need of help we are. One of the questions that's often asked is, why would God give commandments to people he knows can't live up to them? Because it's not, and it never was, about your ability to live up to them. It's about dependency on God. When he gives the commands to Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree. You have everything else in the garden. I've given you everything. Don't do that. Adam and Eve's only response should be obedience to all that God has given them. And Satan comes along and he just uses words and he twists them up and trips them up. Did God really say, surely you won't die? He gives the commands to his people. First, he gives it to Moses. Remember Moses? He goes up on the mountain, and God says, look away, lest you die. And he gives him the Ten Commandments. As Moses was coming down the mountain, he could hear shouts and praise and, and awe. He's like, the people are worshiping God. And he gets down to the bottom, and what happens? They're worshiping the created rather than the creator. It's the same thing we see in Romans chapter 1. God gives the law and the commands to his people so that we would be dependent totally upon him. We cannot keep the law perfectly. Only Jesus can. And so when Jesus says the greatest commandment is love God and love people, it should point us to the only one that can do it, and that's him. Him alone. Romans 5.8. God shows his love in this. While we sin, Christ died for us. You see, the moment of this conversation that Jesus is having with the religious leaders, the resurrection hasn't happened yet. The cross hasn't happened yet. Jesus, being fully God and fully man, knows the redemptive plan of God. From the beginning to the end, Jesus knows what's going to happen, and he knew this moment was going to happen. Jesus, at this moment, could have struck all of the religious leaders down. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. He could have been the king on earth at this very moment. And he says, love God and love people. This is the greatest. 
our greatest need in life isn't that all the problems of our world would be fixed. The greatest need in this life is the forgiveness of sin. And Jesus came to do just that. Mount Moriah Baptist Church is a community of faith in Christ. Devoted, committed, faithful to loving God and loving our neighbor. And we want to make disciples who do the same. We don't want to be like the religious leaders that hold all these rules and commands on top of people to say, do this to get in here. Do this to be good. We say, look to him to get in. Look to him because he is good. Amen? I want to go back for a second as we kind of wrap this up. Jesus is pointing to the gospel. He's pointing to the good news. We not only love God, this agape love of God, and our, but we also love our neighbor. He uses the same word, agape, for love of God and love of neighbor. I want to read this paragraph. Genuine love for one's neighbor is of the same genuine love for God. How I love God represents how I treat people. How I treat people represents what I think about loving God. Does that make sense? If I love God, it should be a natural response to love others. If I don't love God, I'm going to treat people poorly. That's it. And so when Jesus wraps this up, I want this agape love. When I love my neighbor, he, he says, love your neighbor as what? Yourself. Don't love your neighbor as Oprah. You get a car, you get a car, you get... It's not like that. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you're hungry, what do you do? You eat. When you're thirsty, what do you do? When you're cold, what do you do? Wives, you turn up the thermostat. You clothe yourself. So when Jesus says, love God with agape love, love your neighbor with the same love, if your neighbor is hungry, if your neighbor is thirsty, if your neighbor's cold, it's the same love. If I say that I love God but don't have love for my brother, I'm a liar. Mount Moriah Baptist Church is a community of faith devoted to this agape love. And we want to make disciples who do the exact same thing. Our last passage, the last verse in our passage, Matthew 22, verse 40, says this. This is the closing. There's no, there's no point ahead of it. It's just the closing. Verse 40, on these two commandments, love of God and love of neighbor, depend all the law and the prophets. Everything ever written before and after hangs on these two, love God and love neighbor. Scripture points us to the love of God for us in this, that while we sin, he sends Jesus, fully God, fully man, to come to save that which is lost, that which is sinful. He loved a sinful humanity first, and therefore we make every opportunity we have to love him and love our neighbor. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 12. This is it. This is the last one I'm going to tell you to turn to. This is the same moment in Scripture, but Mark gives us the end of the conversation. The scribe responds to Jesus. Mark chapter 12, verse 32. Mark chapter 12, verse 32. Same conversation. Now the scribe responds to Jesus. It's it's very ironic the way he, he, he responds. Mark 12, verse 32. 
And the scribe says to him, Jesus, you are right, teacher. He's speaking to God himself, God in the flesh, and says, you're right. He doesn't know it. You're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no one other besides him, the Shema. And to love him with all heart and with all understanding, with all strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far off from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him a question anymore. God doesn't require burnt offerings and sacrifices. Meaning he doesn't look at our church attendance record. He doesn't look at our church's traditions or our bylaws. He looks at our hearts. The one who says that all of life is about loving God and loving people. Jesus will answer, you are not far from the kingdom of God. God in his great love for sinners like you and I sends the greatest gift of love anyone could ever receive. Jesus lives a sinless life according to the law. He dies a sacrificial death, holding back the wrath of God. He pays our sin debt on the cross. Not only that, he's dead and rose again, showing that he has conquered both sin and death, and so that all who look on the Son will have eternal life. The goal this morning, the goal for 2023, if you have not placed your faith and hope in Jesus Repent and believe in this good news. He is the only way we are saved. It's not about our effort. It's about who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf. I want us to read our mission statement again together. If you would stand with me as we close. It's on the inside of your bulletin on the left. Again, we'll say Mount Moriah Baptist Church, not MMBC. You ready? Here we go. For 2023, this is us. This is where we are headed. Mount Moriah Baptist Church is a community of faith devoted to loving God, loving people, and making disciples who do the same. Let us resolve to do this together as we move into this new year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. You're listening to a local church podcast hosted by my dad, Pastor Ryan Marco. Be sure to leave a review and share this resource. Love God, love people, make disciples.